Thank you. So you can go ahead and turn there. We're going to be in chapter 4. Uh, next week is our final uh, section of Lamentations. And so um, what I'm going to try to do next week is through the book of Lamentations, you may not know this, but we've been, we've been being taught, been being taught by Jeremiah how to righteously complain what that looks like. And so next week, we're going to put all those things together that I was seeing in the, in the, in the, in the overall text. And I'm going to hope to try to help you see it. Maybe you already did. But that's what you can look forward to next week is how to properly bring complaints before the Lord. Today, chapter 4. So if you were here last week, we talked about chapter 3. And we just got done talking about the pinnacle. So Lamentations is laid out in this triangle. We've talked about that. Three is the pinnacle of this. And in the middle of chapter three, there's this section where most people are very familiar with, great is thy faithfulness, right? His mercies are new every morning. And so that's the precipice of all this, that God is continuously faithful, even in the midst of grief. That's the title of it, right? Grace in grief. God is faithful, even in our sorrow, even in our times of trouble and strife. Well, Lamentations, just like real life, doesn't tie everything up into a pretty bow. And so after chapter 3, you might think, if you're not familiar with Lamentations, oh, it's all going to be good from here. Because that's how Hollywood does our movies, right? You have the, the climax, and then eventually something happens, and then it all works out in the end. I'm sorry to tell you this, if you have uh, lived under a rock, that's not how life always is, right? And Lamentations is not that way either. It doesn't answer all of our questions. It doesn't downplay what it means to be human and actually suffer in the world. It it helps us as Christians to understand that the Christian life is sometimes, even as Christians, sometimes the Christian life is seemingly unmanageable. And so we can't just walk around with rose-colored glasses. Suffering does not always follow a formula. Grief is not something that we can kind of you know, the eight steps for, and then once we're through it, we're through it. You you know, there's times in our lives we'll be reminded of different things from season to season. And so chapter one, if you remember, the title of that was Shock and Awe, and it's because of what was going on with Israel during this time, an introduction to the destruction that they had. Chapter two was the title Responding to Wrath, and I wanted to show you the bigness of God's righteousness and why he was doing those things and how those things... Lamentations 3, we just talked about uh, grace in grief, this hope of new mercy. The statement of faith, even in the face of destruction, like preaching to ourselves, right, of God's goodness, even over a a rubbled ash heap. And then chapter 4, the title of today's message is Dashed to Pieces, Beautifully Broken. And it's about finding mercy in our brokenness. And, and, And in fact, this is going to show us, I, I, I hope, that brokenness actually leads us back to God and away from the other things that we often put our hope and our faith in and our trust in that are not God. And I think we see that in this chapter. Uh, there, there's a, a preacher, Mark Vrogop, who wrote a book over Lamentations. The title of the book is Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. This is a quote that he has in there. He says, Think of your life as a beaker full of transparent liquid with sediment at the bottom. If the beaker remains stable and still, the solution looks clear, even pure. 
However, bump the beaker and the sediment is activated and the appearance is of purity is now gone. Suffering bumps the beaker of our lives. It stirs up the sediments that we forgot about and tried to hide. It stirs up things like fear, pride, covetousness, self-sufficiency that lie dormant just under the surface. But pain can reveal those covered enemies. And so in this text, God's breaking his people so that they're going to look to him. Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we come before you this morning and we, some of us in this room, can already imagine what it's like to be broken because we don't have to imagine we've, we've been there. Some of us, God, we have heard stories. Some of us are maybe even broken right now. We're, we're in a season of brokenness. None of us can predict the future, so some of us might be on the way into a season of brokenness. So God, as we look at Lamentations 4 this morning, as we look at the brokenness of Israel, as we look at the things that you, in your goodness, took away so that they could see you more clearly, help us to hold our life beakers in front of us today. Help us to allow your word to bump into us and to shake up the things within us so that we too might bring them before you and you might purify it just as you do pure gold in the furnace, that you might take the dross out of it so that we might be more and more like the image of your son, Jesus. We thank you that you have scriptures that talk about our brokenness and how in that you are strength. I pray that we would be encouraged then by the darkness that we're about to read about in Lamentations and we would see your grace even in grief. And it's in your name we pray, amen. So, If you've been going through with us, uh, or if you've been reading through Lamentations on yourself, or if you've just been paying attention, how many verses are in each chapter of Lamentations? You guys remember? 22. Good. See, you guys were all paying attention. That's good. And then chapter 3 has 66 because it's double, or triple, I'm sorry, triple the amount there. Well, this has 22 verses too, but if you notice, and even in the English language, it's it's that way in the Hebrew, but even in the English language, the verses are much shorter. Because we're, we're coming down off of the precipice, right? We've, it was a lot of build up to chapter 3, and after that, even though, like I said, it doesn't tie everything up, and it, it doesn't end on it necessarily a happy note in chapter 4 and chapter 5, but it is much better because their hearts and their minds, like we talked about last week, have now been tuned. And so, yes, there's still 22 verses, but they're shorter. It still begins with how, like we talked about. And I'm going to show you, I hope in the text you'll be able to see, there's three idols, basically, and one promise. There's three idols that have been brought out uh, from these folks' uh, lives, and then they're replaced with a promise. Also, by the way, if you're a note taker, I'm not supposed to do this, but I'm, I'm going to self-talk. Sorry, Elisa. But, um, if, uh, if you're a note taker, uh, last night at 5 o'clock, I switched the title of this message and some of the points. The points that you have on your notes, you can still fill in because there's a blank, so whatever. But on your notes, when it says something like name the whatever, name the whatever, just forget about that. Um, So, what does it cost us to buy this lie? Well, if we go into Lamentations chapter 4, verses 
1 through 12 is the first thing we're going to see that, that God has broken away from them. And Nick in the back is going to put it up on the screen. I'm going to just preach from my text here. But, so how the gold has grown dim, how the pure gold is changed. The holy stones lie scattered at the head of every street. So here, here's what good authors do. So he, again, he begins with how. This is a question of lament over what's happening here. He's talking about the gold of the actual temple. If, you, if you're familiar with scripture at all, um, for the Old Testament that is, and, the, and how they built the temple, it was very ordinate, okay? But they're also, he's also using that language figuratively over the people of Israel. So it's a both and kind of thing. How is the gold has grown dim? Now we know if you have uh, actual jewelry that it, it, gold doesn't actually tarnish, but it can be burned and it can be blackened by soot. And so again, this is figurative language, but also real language. He's talking about the destruction, how the pure gold has changed. It no longer has its luster. These stones lie scattered. Uh, these are holy stones. If you are familiar with the ephod that the, the priests would wear and the, the clothes that they would have on, the different things that they would use, you know, and what made up the temple. And there was these, these holy stones, these precious stones of the, um, I'm going to say the name wrong, the Thuman and the something else that the, the priest would wear. Anyway, um, what? The Urim and the Thurim. Yes, thank you. Thank you. See, you never stop growing. Even your pastor needs to be reminded. So, But these precious stones, they're scattered now. And so you, you get the illustration then of the temple has been destroyed. These priests are now gone. Verse 2, the precious sons of Zion worth their weight in fine gold how they are regarded as earthen pots, the work of potter's hands. See, pots aren't very expensive. And if you know anything about archaeology, what are they always finding at these dig sites? Pots, man. Busted pots, some pots that are there. They very rarely find big chunks of gold. Do you know why? When people are sacked, they take the gold and they leave the pots, right? And so these earthen pots, these are regarded as nothing. They're, they're broken. These Precious sons of Zion. And so picture in your mind a beautiful city just laid out well. People walking in the streets. There's the bazaar or the marketplace or whatever they might call it then. You can picture, you've seen enough movies, right, where they've got these stands and people are bartering and they're trading and then Aladdin tries to steal the bread. No, it's a different thing, right? But same visualization of that. And so you have this situation there where they're doing those things, and, and you have these young men of regal descent, maybe the upper echelon of society. They're educated, they're wealthy, and they're walking through the streets, almost strutting through the streets, if you will, with their entourage, and they're looking at all the finery that's there. These precious sons of Zion, worth their weight in fine gold, they would be regarded as empty pots. Verse 3, this talks about how far they have come as a caring society. Just look at verse 3. Even the jackals offer the breast, the nursing, they're young, but the daughter of my people has become cruel like the ostriches in the wilderness. Uh, throughout Scripture, we see certain types of animals that are seen as maybe not so good and others that are better. Jackals, historically, uh, even today, right, if you call somebody a jackal, it's not a, it's not a compliment, right? Um, and so the jackal is seen as an offensive animal, but what Jeremiah is saying is even jackals 
have more compassion than my people have. And ostriches in places like Job, uh, ostriches are seen as stupid birds, um, ones that don't care for their young. And so he says they have become cruel like the ostrich. They would bury their eggs in the sand and then they'd forget where they were and so they'd step on them and break them. Or they'd bury them in the sand and they'd run off and they'd just allow nature to take its course. And if it hatched, it hatched. And if it didn't, it didn't. This is the level of care. It says in verse 4, the tongue of the nursing infant sticks to the roof of its mouth for thirst. The child beg for food, but no one gives it to them. So these same marketplace in the streets where these children would be often easily fed. You could just get a quick loaf and break off a piece and, and give it to them. These children now, they have no water. They have no food, and nobody is helping them. Verse 5, those who once feasted on delicacies perish in the streets. Those who were brought up in purple embrace ash heaps. Just to show of hands, um, how many of you guys are planning on, I know we're a ways out, how many of you guys are planning on, if the Lord tarries, celebrating Thanksgiving? Most of you? Those who once feasted on delicacies perish in the streets. They have no food. Those who are brought up in purple embrace ash heaps. This is this idea of a garbage pile. A place where they would throw out all kinds of trash. Food scraps, broken pots and and garbage, dung, all those things. And so now you have this image of what we will see sometimes on, on television. We have, we have no relation in our country to this. We, we cannot fathom this unless you've seen on TV or been overseas to one of these other countries where you've seen these children walking through these trash heaps with a cart behind them or a backpack on or a younger brother and sister with bags and they're just picking up anything that they think that might either be edible or useful as fuel. That's what they're doing. These are people who aren't used to have to actually go and seek out their food. These are people who have refrigerators in their homes. Not really, but... Verse 6, For the chastisement of the daughter of my people has been greater than the punishment of Sodom. Can you imagine that? Now, why does the author say that? which was overthrown in a moment, and no hands were wrung for her. This is why he says that. He is aware that there are those of Israel that have been taken into captivity, and some of them are wringing their hands for the fall of this great nation. And so they are still lamenting over this. There are some survivors, which also kind of makes it worse because there are people who can actually remember how it was. And the other thing he says is it's worse than Sodom because Sodom, in God's mercy, was destroyed in a moment. Whereas here, we know historically that uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, when he came in, he basically starved these people out. They had a great city, it was fortified, they ended up starving them out, and then they broke into the walls, they took everything, and as we're going to see here in a minute, uh, as we're already seeing, their culture is being destroyed, their leadership is being destroyed, their religion is being destroyed, all of this is being taken away from them. And it lasted for a long time. 
So that's part of what I want to point out this morning too is, you know, as, as Christians, I, I think we're under the false assumption that sometimes our times of sorrow, our times of lament are just going to be short-lived. There's going to be little blips on the screen and we're just going to move right over them. It's going to be nothing that we really have to deal with for very long. And I think the older that you get, the more you understand that life just simply takes time. Verse 7. Her princes were purer than snow, whiter than milk. Their bodies were more ruddy than coral. The beauty of their form was like sapphire. Now their face is blacker than soot, and they are not recognized in the street. Their skin is shriveled on their bones. It has become as dry as wood. These are people who took great care in their physical beauty. I mean, it is rare for people to be able to wash themselves every day in other countries. Back here, there's a lot of work to that, right? They'd have to go get the water, they'd have to heat the water, or they'd just have to take cold showers or whatever. Not the Wim Hof method. No? Google that. Um, but these were people who took great care in the way they looked. And now it says even that. Look, their skin is shriveled on their bones. It has become dry as wood. Nine, happier were the victims of the sword than the, than the victims of hunger who wasted away, pierced by the lack of the fruits of the field. It was better for them. The hands of compassionate women. This is probably what we would call the bottom of the barrel. The hands of compassionate women have boiled their own children. They became their food during the destruction of the daughter of my people. You see what I mean? We don't really have a category for this. And I'm not here to guard you from God's word. So you've got to deal with the fact that Jeremiah is recording in history that hunger was so bad and the destruction of Israel was so bad that in some cases they consumed their children. I'm pretty sure your day is better than that. Just keep that in perspective. So why is this happening? Why have we hit so low? Verse 11, the Lord gave full vent to his wrath. He poured out his anger. He has kindled a fire in Zion and consumed its foundations. Verse 12, to end this first section, the kings of the earth did not believe, nor any of the inhabitants of the world, that that foe, or enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem. So their city, which seemed to be unpregnantable, was now taken. So the first idol, the first thing that has been taken away from them so that they can receive this mercy out of brokenness is their disintegrating culture. Their temple is gone. Their food is gone. Their wealth is gone. Their stature in their community is gone. Their military is gone. Uh, Their maids and their um, young princes are disheveled and gone. The children, their future, right, is being starved to death in front of them. Their compassion has left them. Everything that made them the people of God has now been raked through. And so I just want to ask you this morning, are you finding your idols in some of these same places? Are you finding your idols in financial security? Are you propping up people? 
Are you craving comforts? Are you taking God's grace for granted? Which leads me to the next idol that gets taken away. And, and it makes sense that it would be because anytime things are bad, and, and I hope that we can relate to some of this because we are at a time in our country where you know, things are looking bleak. We're, we're, not, we're not eating kids yet, okay? But at the same time, I hope we're not eating kids yet. But as an American, we're, we're looking at our country and we're like, man, I, I, I don't like the way things are going. And so what we are tempted to do is often what all people are tempted to do, and that is to, to look to their leaders, but look at verse 13. This was for the sins of the prophets and the iniquities of her priests who shed in the midst of her the blood of the righteous. This was, this was because of bad leaders. But not just the leaders, it's because of the people who are following those leaders. Verse 14, they, they wandered blind through the streets. They were so defiled with blood that no one was able to touch their garments away, unclean. These are the people who were supposed to tell you what was clean and what wasn't clean. These are the people that were supposed to uphold the law of the Lord. People cried at them, away, away, do not touch. They were treating them as lepers now. So that they became fugitives and wanderers. People said among the nations, they shall stay with us no longer. So not even the Gentiles wanted anything to do with these priests and people who were supposed to represent God most high. Verse 16, the Lord himself has scattered them. He will regard them no more. No honor was shown to these priests, no favor for their elders. And so I want to ask you question two, or another question about this. Uh, the next section that was here is the, the reason they're in this situation is because the, the truth was distorted. So if you want to keep all my things, then it's disintegrated culture and distorted truth. And that's what they were doing, and that's what we're seeing in our country. We have to be a people who, who wants powerful preaching and not people pleasing. We have to seek leaders that care more uh, about God's glory than they do their own ego or their entourage. And so I want to ask you this morning, are, are you seeking the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, or are you seeking just any Lord, lowercase L-O-R-D? Because these that were supposed to be their leaders, these that Israel was putting their hope and their trust in, as we saw the other week too, they were deceiving them. They were distorting truth. Because if they would have done what God had asked, just like in Jonah, the people could have repented and he would have turned. And so the third idol that was taken away, or the place that they were left was this discouraging situation because of their military was not functioning. Their, their might, if you will. Limitations 4, 17 through 20. Our eyes failed ever watching vainly for help. In our watching, we watched for a nation which could not save. They were looking to Egypt, not to God. They were looking to Egypt to come and fight the Babylonians on their behalf. Verse 18, they dodged our steps so that we could not walk in our streets. Our end drew near, our days were numbered, for our end had come. Our pursuers were swifter than the eagles in the heavens. They chased us on the mountains. They lay in wait for us in the wilderness. They set up booby traps around the city for them. They would pursue anyone who would try to flee 
Verse 20, again, is the, again another one of these bottom of the barrels. It hits these sections. So 10 is the bottom of the barrel for the first. 20 is the bottom of the barrel for this. It says, the, the breath of our nostrils, the Lord's anointed, was captured in their pits, of whom we said, under his shadow shall we live among the nations. So they're now left in a discouraging situation. The reason why is because they were finding their hope and their security in a building, a temple that was full of gold and precious things. They're finding their, their joy and their hope and their security in things of this world, right? They were serving the creation rather than the creator. They, they were, they were uh, all bound up in their own great pomp and circumstance. They, were, they thought they had it going on because they had purple and they had ointments and they had salves and they had feasts and they had gold and they had children and they had land and they had walls and they had an army and even their king if you if, if you're not familiar with history king zedekiah at this time he is the king during this he could have turned he could have turned the nation and so their prophets their priests their king all of these that they are putting their hope in these human versions of this king zedekiah was taken captive he was taken captive, and they, the Babylonians killed his sons in front of him to wipe off the Davidic line. They, were trying, they knew about the prophecy that God had given to David about how he's always going to have somebody on his, on his throne forever. His kings, or his sons, were murdered in front of him, and then they gouged out his eyes, and then they led him with a chain around his neck into captivity into Babylon. That's the end of this line of the Davidic king of, of, of whom God has prophesied there will always be somebody on your throne. This is the mentality that Israel's at right now. <coughs> we are living in the midst of a cultural unraveling. Many of us can think back on those, you know, quote unquote, those good old days. Some of us think back in anger. Some of us think back on fear, fear of the future or anger at the current situation. But scripture tells us that you, if you are a Christian, you are in this world, but not of this world. And so it's fine to have a lament over this culture. We live in a time period of distorted truth. And we often look for leaders during this time instead of the God of scripture. We put our hope and our trust in a certain political party or a certain political person. And the foolishness of that is that at any time, if God so chooses, our leader too could be taken into captivity, whether you like them or not. And do you want to avoid that? Well, then men, you need to be leaders in your own right. You need to be leaders in your own home. Women, you need to be leaders in your own home, in your own communities, in your own social groups. Christians, you need to be a leader and not a follower. You need to be the one who's standing up and sharing the truth of the gospel. And so what we see is that they're left in this discouraging situation. Egypt, the one who they were looking for, their military might has failed. They are left on their own. They are left to be destroyed. Nothing could be done. No culture, no leader, no hope, no more idols. They are broken. Which brings me to my final thing, which is 
They're broken, but they're not without hope. So I want you to turn to verses 21 and 22. It says here in Lamentations 21, 22 about a, an, a deliverance which is assured. It says, rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom. This is their enemies. They said, go ahead and clap your hands. Go, go ahead and rejoice. Go ahead and think that the victory is over, you who dwell in the land of us. But you also, this cup shall pass. You shall become drunk and strip yourself bare. Justice is also going to come to our enemies. And then in these 19 words of 22, we see this promise of God's deliverance to his people that is assured. He says, The punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. He will keep you in exile no longer. And then he finishes with, again, this claim of justice towards those people around him. But your iniquity, O daughter of Edom, he will punish. He will uncover your sins. But in the first part of 22 there, the punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. He will keep you in exile no longer. You see, with our good God, what we talked about last week, his hased, his steadfast love. Because he does not change, O Israel, you are not destroyed. And so if you're here this morning and you're receiving the punishment of the Lord and you feel like you are broken, or if you're here this morning and it's not necessarily punishment of the Lord, but it's just the things that go on in the world and your life circumstances are one that are seem out of your control and unmanageable and you seem like you're at the bottom looking up and you feel broken, then you are in a good place. Because the place that you're at reveals your brokenness and that shines the light on God's strength. And so maybe some of these things, maybe some of these idols, maybe some of these crutches that you have are things like this. I, I didn't think that I would be single at this stage in my life. I did not think that I would be dealing or battling with this sin still. I, I did not think my kids would turn out this way. <clears throat> I did not think ministry would look like this. I did not think marriage would be this way. But brokenness that leads us to God is good. When God allows us to be dashed to pieces by the rocks of this world, it is him who speaks to the storm and tells it to be calm so that he can pick those pieces up and make something beautiful out of the brokenness. It is the glory of the gospel. Lament shows us how to think and what to pray when our idols become clear. See, the good thing about that beaker that we were talking about in the first place, the good thing about that beaker is that the water looks clear when everything is stable. But it's only when the beaker is bumped that we can actually see it for what it really is. And then by God's grace, by his mercy, he is able to pull out those particles, filter out those pieces that we ourselves didn't even see or were choosing not to. So praise the Lord for your beakers being bumped. Praise the Lord for his mercy in breaking us because it's only in the gospel that we can come to our Lord Jesus Christ and say, Lord, thank you. It is because of you that we can be made beautifully broken.
God broke Israel because her hope was not in him. We need Jesus. We need a prophet, a priest, and a king to pick up our pieces. Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word to us. We thank you for books like Lamentations that help us to understand and to see that this world is broken. We thank you that you've given us your gospel so that we can understand that even if this world is broken, this is not the end that you have provided for us. Help us then to examine our own hearts. Help us to see our own idols, idols of our own culture, our own safety, our own our own design, and instead help us to break them to pieces. God, we thank you that you are about the business of rebuilding, even the broken. It's in your name we pray. Amen.